and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast for another week. I say another week, our schedule's been so all over the map lately that, I mean, it might have been another fortnight, I don't know. But listen, who's counting? Because the important thing is, we're here for you now, and that's all that you should really be focusing on. And we're going to have a great show tonight, because one, I have one of my fabulous co-hosts with me. It is the one and only Claire Marie <laughs> Bailey. Claire, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Always nice to be here. <laughs> it's lovely to have you here, Claire. You've not been feeling very well lately, have you? So I've you've... not been feeling very well, but to offset that, I have seen um, there was a <laughs> conference, there was a um, Blade Runner, can you believe this, a Blade Runner conference, a Ridley Scott conference. So I saw Blade Runner, the original, and then Blade Runner 49 one night after each other. Mm-hmm. Really great films. And from a photography point of view, Blade Runner is fantastic and especially the original and the music the vangelis soundtrack i love it so that was a that was a bonus and there was a guy in conversation as well the uh producer Ivor powell i think he was called so that was interesting listening to him um uh working on that film working with ridley scott and also working with um he's worked with uh, stanley kubrick as well so that was all really a positive, yeah. That but from a photography good. point of view, we should watch Blade Runner. <laughs> okay. I love the way yeah. you described that event as a conference. <laughs> just a conference, yeah, of, a Blade Runner conference. Lots of people yeah, there with their Blade Runner stalls. I think it was because it was locally. It was part of the local university. I think it was. But, you know, I was just in the films. Fair enough. Talk. Yeah, That sounds good. Uh, you can't not Blade Runner. I, um, yeah good movies anyway as i already mentioned we have a fantastic guest with us this evening now this was somebody who i got to speak to at the Mm -hmm. very very end of the analog spotlight event a few weeks back um i would say and i'm gonna go out on the limb here i was gonna i'm gonna say probably the most popular thing going at the analog spotlight um also i'm gonna say the person responsible for I'm sorry, the worst stink in the Analog Spotlight event as well. Uh, <laughs> a big welcome to Willow Dunn from Wet Plate Willow. Willow, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, guys. It's wonderful to be here. It's an absolute Willow, delight to Willow have you here. Blade Runner lighting as well. <laughs> yeah. See, I must admit, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Blade Runner myself, <laughs> but I, I have to say, I haven't seen 49 yet. I still haven't. <laughs> wow. Uh, I know. You have to um, see it. You say big I, I fan. Raised, but... What's not, sorry? You say big fan, but not such a big fan in the last what three years you've got around to it. See, the problem is that I must admit I don't really keep up with much media these days. I don't <laughs> watch too much or anything like that. Um I must admit I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan. I read his books. Oh, yeah. Um yeah. so yeah, um but the yeah, I haven't watched forty nine, but I do remember my dad was a big big Blade Runner fan so he used to play Vangelis in his car all the time when I was a kid so I used to I was raised on that soundtrack as well so good <laughs> mm, beautiful yeah I, I have to say I mean I, I was never I, I, why this has become the Blade Runner podcast I don't know but well, let's go with it um, I I didn't you know the first film is good but I wasn't mad at actually I but I did go to see the second one at the cinema and um, yeah I, I really did quite enjoy that and I'm not a massive Ryan, what's his face? Fan Ryan, serious face. I think he's called. Um, but um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Good film, and I can see where you're coming from as well. I think it, the way that that whole thing is put together it is very beautifully shot. Both films are very beautifully shot. Um, so much mood and atmosphere. Um, so yeah, a good one to look at for ideas and stuff. Anyway, moving away from the Blade Runner podcast, <laughs> please send in your emails to Sunny Sixteen Connor podcastbladerunner.com um willow as i mentioned you were at the analog spotlight um you were making people's portraits all day yeah Um, yeah all all day (laughs) non-stop and you i think you had a sign-up sheet when people first got there and it was almost instantly filled out spoke to various people about it during the day who loved it um the thing that people may not have realized is that you have been in business and doing this for how long now? Um, so at the time of Analog Spotlight, I'd been doing it for less than two months. So I'm now <laughs> just over the two-month barrier, uh, coming up to three months in just over a week. But um, yeah, I've not been doing it all that long, I must admit, but I seem to be doing rather well with it, so I can't complain too much. Um, 
but like you said the i had a sign up sheet and i think it was about 20 minutes that it filled up in mm-hmm. and Gosh. it took me 20 minutes just to do one photo so by the time i'd done the first one it was already booked up to the girls and i said i didn't get the chance to talk to you until gone seven o'clock i think it was yeah and you looked quite mm. tired by the end of the day i'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I I really didn't feel exhausted. I didn't like, although I didn't even take a break from it. I um, like I, my family brought me in food for the day, mm. which I didn't even get to touch once. Um, for me, it felt like I'd only I was only there an hour. It just flew by. I was just having yeah. such a great time. Um, I must admit, I kind of ruined it. I, I kind of put myself in that situation because I, I kind of thought I could get away with doing it every fifteen minutes, but. Mm-hmm. It should have been every 20, but it was my first event. We we live, we learn, um, so we keep on keep on going on. But uh, it does mean that in future, I now know 20 minutes is where to put it. <laughs> yeah. Don't overdo it. It's not for setting it and sort of compose, you know, com- getting your subjects composed and then taking the shot and developing the plate. Is that the time frame? Yeah. So yeah. basically, from from the moment you come in, for instance, um, what I would do instantly is I'd start prepping the plate. So mm-hmm. the plate itself takes about four minutes to sensitize. So the idea is to basically get that happening as soon as I can, because then that way we can try and get the actual photo done in a relatively quick fashion. Yeah. And obviously, four minutes to set someone up in a chair with a head brace is it's quite easy. You know, like it was because uh, well the exposure times in there i was shooting five second exposures i think it yeah. was um it did mean i had to have like a little brace holding people's head kind of steady mm-hmm. so it was just a matter of like locating them roughly and then once it gets to the point the plate's actually ready to go i can then get them finally situated into the, the positioning that they were in and then i'd ask them to obviously sit still and let me blind them for about five seconds which is quite nice <laughs> <laughs> and incidentally nothing at all to do with photography picture but just the thing you like to do uh, as part of your yeah. thing is just to blind people um yeah they don't complain so much about how the outcome goes then do they no no i mean it makes it harder for them to see the image you know mm-hmm. they're just like oh yeah it's wonderful and then they walk away <laughs> they get home and they're like oh no it's terrible <laughs> too late <laughs> but, no. but it's um yeah, it, it, obviously, again, uh, um, I don't know if uh, you guys necessarily know too much about it, but my ISO rating that I'm operating with is about 0.75. So you're blasting light into yeah. someone's face for quite a while. Um, so I, I would basically be as quick as I could with the lights. So I don't want to uh, like start blinding people too much. But it was it was honestly just a wonderful time in general, just like having the chance to meet so many people. And I mean, yeah, I'm was blinding them for a little bit you know but it was the conversations i got to have and just again meeting wonderful people such as yourself graham throughout the event although i may not have been able to take your photo because of so being being so booked up it was um it was just again nice to even just have those conversations with people even the ones that were just standing around to the side watching me do what i was doing Mm. um and again i I must admit i was overwhelmed because um i I did hear from many people that i was kind of like a highlight to the event um and having been someone who's kind of just magically appeared into this Mm -hmm. community i guess because although i've been shooting for years um i've not really gone to any of these events or kind of met people got myself out there so i just kind of being someone who just essentially magically appeared and then having such a wonderful response was a massive massive deal for me so i couldn't thank everyone enough for just being so wonderfully supportive of it all you know yeah well let's back it up because um as you said when you did this event you've been doing wet plates for two months um yeah how did you even come to be doing wet plates at all because the thing is we've spoken to a few people who who shoot wet plates in the past um obviously our friend simon riddell and um shane over in the states his his amazing work um and you know these are people who've been doing it for a while, we, so, and we've also got to hear about how the process is is not the easiest. The fact that in two months you're not only shooting wet plate but doing it as a business as well. How did any of this come to be? Why did it even strike you as a thing you wanted to do? How how did wet plate willow even start as an idea? Um. So I was in. Uh, so I, I'd been doing photography for quite a few years prior to it. 
Um, so I started off originally doing photos when I was 16. I was just um, taking photos of skateboarders. Did away with it for a little while whilst I got busy, like kind of getting into working life growing up. Um, and then when I moved to Brighton, I kind of found, found myself getting into doing street photography. Um, I've always been a big fan of like Magnum and their kind of work. So it was all shot again on like kind of Kodak Tri-X and all that kind of stuff. So I started falling in love with the analog process. Well, just any kind of analog process through that. So I started off doing street photography around Brighton. And then through kind of knowing more and more about the history of photography and at least where it started in regards to film, I kind of wanted to know more about where it actually started, where it fully originated from. Um, so I ended up going into photography in uni um, and I found it wasn't giving me what I wanted from it. So I took it upon myself to essentially just start researching where photography came from. Yeah. Um, so I started looking down into like obviously the history of like daguerreotypes, cyanotype, stuff like that, everything that was kind of photographic process at first. Um, but through my uh, photography that I'd been doing outside of that with film, I fell into a love of portraiture. So <laughs> I wanted to find a good balance of an analog process from its heyday uh, that was good for portraiture. And the first one that was really actually anywhere near usable for portraiture was the wet plate collodion process, because it was the first time they were able to kind of do uh, portraits that were only maybe a couple of seconds long, up to 30 seconds long, rather than being maybe half an hour exposures and stuff like that, that you sometimes have with stuff like daguerreotypes. Um, so I, I just, I don't know exactly how I first came about finding out about the wet play collodion process, but it was definitely that kind of little rabbit hole that I fell down into finding out about it. Um, and I'd just become fascinated with it, like the whole idea of um, taking a substrate, basically creating your own film emulsion essentially on the surface and then mm -hmm. shooting that and developing it. It was always like that kind of being super involved with it was for me just a big just a big part of why I fell in love with the whole idea. Um, so I've always been like, before I got into my current day job of coffee roasting, I was an engineer. So I like working with my hands. I like that kind of involvement. So being able to sit there and kind of play around with the actual substrates, the pouring techniques and stuff like that, it naturally kind of fit well into what I enjoy doing. Um, so I just kept researching it and it took me about three or four years actually Um and I just kind of got to a point where he's like, you know what, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm just going to do it. And I ended up purchasing a camera. I purchased a load of chemicals for me to start shooting with. Um, I jerry-rigged my bathroom into a dark room because mm -hmm. I did my first couple just in my house. Um, uh, so I, I went through all that uh, and I just went, you know what, if I'm going to do it, I just need to do it. I can't just sit around pretending that is going to happen at some point. I kept talking about it to people being like, I'm going to do it someday. I yeah. was like, no, this is it. After COVID and all that kind of stuff where I wasn't shooting for a while, I was like, this is the time, you know, if I'm going to do it, do it now. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm quite fortunate in the fact that I live in uh, Hove and literally not too far from where I live, Intrepid exists. Uh, and they mm -hmm. obviously have relatively affordable um, large format cameras. So, mm -hmm. I started off by purchasing one of those large format cameras from them. So I bought a four by five um, and I started purchasing the kind of wet plate collodion chemicals that were necessary for me to start shooting. Um, so I was originally purchasing everything from the Czech Republic. Um, I am in the process now of actually starting to mix my own chemicals. It's something that I'm developing towards um, just because it's a bit more cost effective, but then also you can kind of control the look of your own image. Um, but yeah, it was just more about like, just getting to a point where I was like, enough's enough. You just need to start shooting it. Um, and then from there, um, I realized I don't want to just sit in my front room doing it. Um, and that's when I started building my own little portable darkroom to operate out of. So I'm, I'm sure you've managed to see my darkroom set up. It's a bit of a bootleg setup. Um, and for me, that was part of the fun of it was, again, Back in the day, when people would originally do it, they would make their own little portable darkroom setups and then go out with them. Mine's a little bit more on the modern side because there's a big plastic tub with a blackout curtain on it, you know? But mm -hmm. um, it was just that kind of... I wanted to essentially have, like, old-time photos, but with a slight modern twist, I guess. So mm. on my 
camera as well i use a modern lens i use a schneider lens whereas a lot of people i know still use original petzval lenses and like the old brass lenses Mm. um so for me it was just kind of like bringing that a little bit more into the modern age i guess Mm um but yeah for me it was just it was four years of striving over wanting to finally do it and then just buckling one day and being like you know what we're just gonna do it you know um and then, lo and behold, March 18th, I took my first uh, wet plate, and I was fortunate enough to have an actual image appear on the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a terrible image, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, blurry, it's got terrible oyster shelling around the edges mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but there was a face, and for me, that was enough, you know. Um, and then from there, I just kept practicing in any moment that I could, even if it meant sitting inside at 10 o'clock at night, having big lights on and doing two minute long exposures just to have a photo of a couple of flowers. It was just that kind of going through the effort of practicing it yeah. and doing it. And that's led me to where I am now, which is just through the means of practicing, just carrying on and learning the right techniques. Um, and now I'm achieving these very clean images, I guess, on these plates and well enough for me to go again, to meet you guys at the event, take everyone's yeah, portrait, I guess. So, yeah, um, that's because yeah. that's what I was intrigued by. I mean, I know you said you spent years researching it, but it really is one of those skills that you can only go so far by reading and watching about it. And it is the doing. So, at no point have you have you been and done a course or anything like that with anybody before you start making your own. No, um, I'm all completely self-taught. Um, so um, I, I must admit, it didn't even go through my head to look at Collodian workshops. And I know they exist now, mm-hmm. um, but it just for some reason, it just completely didn't <laughs> think about it. Um, but I, I suppose it does give me a little bit more of a sense of pride in the work that mm-hmm. I have done because um, I have gone out of my own way to kind of do it. And that's not to slate anyone who goes through the... Uh, actual workshops to do it because i imagine it's probably a better idea to do so it's certainly much safer to do so because a lot of the stuff like you said i caused a big stink it's a lot of the stuff i use is not nice chemicals to be operating with um so there are kind of safety elements and practices i mean i'm very fortunate in the fact that previous work i've done this involved um chemicals that has this to health so i'm kind of very much used to being careful with that kind of stuff um but it is something that you need to be careful with because not only is it carcinogenic, it's flammable and explosive at the same time. So Woo! you do, yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't <laughs> want some big fireworks happening inside my house. So um, it, it's just a matter of being as careful as you can be. Um, and I would fully advise that people get proper teaching to especially handle such chemicals. I mean, um, it's, it is a, a dangerous thing to be involved in. Um, it's, no way around it that's why i wear my gloves my apron i'm getting some breathing gear as well because ideally when i was doing the whole day that i did i should have had some breathing apparatus Mm -hmm. because of how long i was spending in my dark room um the odd occasion is not going to do enough damage you know Um, probably i mean on the bright side you'll definitely blow yourself up before there's any long-term health implications (laughs) yeah yeah and you might as well go out in a big big ball of flame instead you know the more fun way yeah um (laughs) but yeah, and then obviously um, alongside the kind of nasty chemicals, you're then also, well, I have an open flame next to a lot of it as well, which is, again, a big, big no-no when it comes to flammable and explosive materials. But it's part of the process, you know. Um, so I, I've tried my best to go down the route of doing everything as traditional as possible, and they would originally use an alcohol burner of some sort. Um, so that's what I use now. But I, at one point, I was using a hairdryer to mm-hmm. heat up my plates because um, that's all you need to do is just warm it up but I will say it's uh, it's not quite as easy to take a hairdryer down to the seafront to take some photos mm-hmm. so I invested in getting a little alcohol burner to deal with but it does bring up the danger factor a little bit because inevitably big flame next to explosive chemicals can be a bit dangerous but um yeah, it's it's just one of those things that again, if you're just careful enough, and I think having someone kind of point you in the right direction and tell you how to look after things correctly, then you're going to be fine. Um, again, I spent a lot of time researching it and looking into the actual chemicals themselves. Um, so, 
on one of those kind of collodion workshops but i did it over a long span of time whereas if you had someone just quickly telling you like if you have this put it here and look after it like this i i kind of went the stupidly long-winded way with it but again it gives you a bit more i guess a sense of pride in knowing that i brought myself from the ground up mm-hmm. and i've done it all myself you know yeah you figured out you figured out by making your own mistakes and by going through that way i i can very much relate to that um I, obviously a large part that you can't you can't learn about at all until you start doing it is the very physical side of, of pouring the plates and getting all that which i understand is there is a real technique and a real skill to that. I know when we were chatting to um, Shane Shane Balkowicz, um, you know, and he sh- he's got pictures of some of his early plates. You know, they're, they're not they're just not well poured because it it takes time. Um, yeah. You said that when you first got into it, you were spending every free minute doing this. I mean, how many how many plates did you make in those first few weeks? What 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 was the turnover rate like? I think everyone would still be surprised about the amount I made before I came to spotlight um i would say before i came to spotlight i'd probably only done about 30 or 40 really yeah yeah so i i think i benefited from one thing which is i've been a barista at least working as a barista since five years ago and i still make coffee to this day and that's a lot of liquid pouring you Mm -hmm. know so i think naturally where i've done like latte art and stuff like that it's a pouring method which is maybe very (laughs) similar to that kind of weighted tray method as we call it um i think having that kind of um training in that area kind of aided me in naturally learning more pouring methods with different chemical uh, with, with these chemicals because if i look at it the same way i would pour a cup of coffee it would be that same kind of idea so i will say i i, I would think it's got a little bit of, to do with that but um naturally again looking at a lot of videos over time you kind of notice small things that people do um i do think that necessarily has helped but again that technique is the biggest part i still don't always get it perfect um i did a shot recently where um basically a whole corner of the image wasn't there and that's simply because the collodion hadn't sat on that area long enough to actually create a uh, emulsion for the silver to adhere to mm-hmm. um and that is again. This, I think that's the beauty of it all as well. Is it's you're never always going to have the perfect shot. There's always going to be something wrong with it, I guess. And I think that makes it just a little bit more interesting because the control that you have over it, you've got. You can do it to you control to a certain point, but there are going to be small things that will make that image individual and its own. And for me, that's a big part of why I enjoy it is just knowing that every time it happens you don't really know what you're going to get mm-hmm. and if, if you do mess up it's just an excuse to take another photo really which is quite <laughs> nice that's true when you decided to take the plunge buy all the stuff actually jump into this was it with the idea of turning this into a business at that time or did that follow admittedly very quickly afterwards um so for me, I, I, in some ways, I still don't really necessarily see it as business. Like um, that, that the spotlight event was actually the first time I made money through making it. Um, everything else I'd done, I'd been shooting just out of like hobbyism, and oh, really? I'm not really okay. done. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't really done too much since. And of course, yes, I would love to eventually make a living through doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like at the time it was maybe something that I needed to work up to. And I think the spotlight was the kind of perfect yeah. example of that. Um, and it is now something that I, I am looking to do. So I it's led me to have this kind of passion and drive to I'm what I'm hoping to do is have maybe a, even a little studio set up in Brighton by the end of the year, if I can. If I don't hit it by the end of the year, there's next year, that's fine. But I, I would love to be able to have somewhere that I can actually operate out of on a day to day basis and do like portraits for anyone. And then um, then hopefully as well, look out to maybe outsourcing myself to events and stuff like that. Um, I've got someone as well. So Holly, um, who is in charge of well, well, one of the event organizers, mm-hmm. um, she even mentioned that she might even have a friend of hers who's been getting married next year who'd maybe interest, be interested in having some like nice wedding photos done of them. And again, like, I'm going to hopefully try and open myself up to those possibilities. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't really until the spotlight that I had, I guess, 
true intentions to make money from it like it was always a goal to eventually try and make a living from it at some point because i just enjoy doing it mm -hmm. and why not get paid to do something you enjoy so much yeah um and especially because it's like all the chemicals get a bit costly so i need to supplement that a little bit and help pay it back but um yeah it's it's it's, it's something i yeah ideally i'd love to get to a point where it is a, a proper business i guess but Currently, I guess I still don't necessarily see it that way. Mm. Um, probably won't do until I have a couple more pop-ups happen. Um, mm. So I'm going to hopefully set up on Brighton Seafront at some point and do like a kind of like a little roll-up, roll-up, get your portrait done kind of thing. Um, so I think that will help. And then I've got um, possibly people want me to do a couple of workshops as well, um, showing yeah. the process to other people. So I think when those kind of things start happening a little bit more, maybe it'll be a bit more of a business in my head. But yeah. But in the meantime, I'm just doing it because for me, it's just a beautiful process. And just how the involvement you have in creating an image is what makes it. It's the same kind of feeling that you'd get from developing your first roll of film. Yeah. It, it's that beauty. And I, mm -hmm. I still get that same feeling every single time because, mm -hmm. again, you never know how it's going to turn out. If you've got development down to a point, you're always going to end up having the same results no matter how many times you use it. But mm -hmm. with me, there's so many things that can go wrong at any moment and it keeps it fresh so when i finally see that image appear in the fixer i i get that kind of same feeling of elation that i imagine the person whose photo they're seeing their face light up i think i light up probably just as much in seeing that kind of happen you know mm -hmm. so it may be a little bit selfish but it's just as much for me as it is as much for them you know um yeah so yeah, for me, it's just enjoying. That's why I also still go and do um, like some. I'm I'm doing some like kind of street, uh, street photography, landscape kind of stuff as well, and that's just solely for my pleasure. You know, just yeah. seeing mm -hmm. the image appear and being proud of it, varnishing it, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's 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 still not quite a business to me, but very very soon I think it will start being a bit more business like. But. <laughs> It's I'm, nearly I'm no business time, but not quite business yeah. time yet. Yeah, we're almost there, just <laughs> almost so close. Business time. Um, you mentioned about the cost of chemicals and stuff. In this age of, well, everything being more and more expensive, and, yeah, well, film photography is just one of the everythings that the cost is going up on. Um, yeah. How how expensive is shooting wet plate relative to, I suppose, I'm going to ask you relative, but then you haven't really shot large format other than that, I don't think. So, but how how expensive is it? I mean, what, what are the costs like for a, a frame by the time you've shot and, and done all the varnishing and everything for a single image? How much does it work out for you to do that? I must admit, I haven't done too much in like deep math mm. into it. Because uh, again, I think where I've not necessarily kind of viewed it per se as a business so far, I've not necessarily paid too much attention to that. But I know the certain cost of chemicals and stuff like that. So something like a, a bottle of like collodion, like pre-mixed collodion, for instance, uh, I think it's about 250 mils will run you back about 25 euros. Um, you're not using great amounts of that per shot. You know, that, that will kind of last you a while. Um, you've got like sodium thiosulfate hyperfixer and stuff like that, which if you're going to buy a premix, I think it's about 10 euros. Um, but sodium thiosulfate is very easy to get hold of yourself and kind of just mix it with distilled water. And then essentially you've got your hyperfixer there. So that's not entirely too hard. The main kicker is the silver nitrate. Um, silver nitrate is, um, I think for about 50 grams, it's probably 60 or 70 pounds and for me to make 500 mils i need 45 grams so right each each time i'm making a silver nitrate bath it's about that kind of much yeah there are ways to maintain a silver bath to make it last a very very long time and that involves a thing called sunning and that is essentially just taking the silver putting it into a clear glass bottle and basically letting it react to uv light so any little bits of sediment that are in it kind of react to the light, become black and then sink, and then you filter that out. But then the problem you have with that is, is your silver balance inside the water is not correct at that point. So then you need to top it up with a little bit more silver nitrate. You need to have like a hydrometer and stuff like that, which is equipment I don't currently have, um, something I am working towards. So I am at the moment purchasing new silver baths when I need them. 
um and it, it it does become quite an expense so i think the premix silver baths probably about i think the ones i get are about 90 euros um so it, it, it is a bit of an expense but generally a silver bath will generally get you about 100 plates with kind okay. of good clarity um so when you do an event like analog spotlight you kind of smash through that pretty quickly yeah. um so yeah and then sometimes you might accidentally have like I, I had a silver nitrate bath which i i must admit i accidentally ruined because i accidentally got some uh, my hyperfixer into the silver nitrate bath yeah um and it's kind of tarnished that so That's um yeah i must admit that really had me going <laughs> i realized what i'd done i was like oh no um so yeah there, there is quite an expense involved but in all honesty i think price per shot i wouldn't put it too far off of being a little bit more expensive than shooting medium format really um i, I i'd be surprised if it was like i again i don't know the maths per se um i i would say it's definitely cheaper than shooting large format film because per shot obviously with large format film you're talking I mean, if you were to get it developed elsewhere kind of thing, at least is what I'm thinking, because I don't home develop currently. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the setup to do it right now. That is ironic. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a portable darkroom for wet play, but I can't develop my own film, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so the the thing is, is um, let's say you buy a box of uh, Porch 400 for uh, 4x5. That's going to run you about £85 now for 10 shots. So you're already looking at £8.50 per mm. shot there. Yeah. And development on top of that, if you want development with scans of that, with like a high-res scan, you're looking maybe at 10 to £15 pound per shot mm. on top of that. So you're already looking at maybe £20 for just a single image on large format film. Um, so it, it generally is like quite expensive to shoot film. It's something I'm going to try soon, but for the moment, I think I'll stick to my Collodion. Um, but then you also, you've got to think about, so I suppose if you're doing like the selling of the plates and stuff like that you also then have to think about labor costs and stuff like that if you're going to really think about pricing yourself um so naturally i think it could work out to be more expensive but it depends on how you feel about the process um mm. so i honestly again i i don't think i could give you a 100 answer on that because oh, no. i haven't done enough That's... of it myself but i think it's probably cheaper than i would think yeah so the plates themselves. I mean, how how much are they? How do you buy those? You, I'd I was gonna, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I, I buy basically it's it's the same kind of aluminium that you get on trophies. You know, the little black plaques. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's that. It's, that's what what I'm actually using. So it's a, it's a black um, substrate of um, aluminium. So they just call it like trophy aluminium or plaque aluminium. Um, and I get it cut down to four by five sheets and they run me, I think, just over a pound each. Okay. Obviously, the larger you buy, it tends to maybe sometimes bring the price down a little bit. But um, that's generally how much you're looking just for the substrate itself. Um, you can also shoot on glass. Glass tends to be a bit more expensive. Um, so glass is something I'm going to do soon. So that's the amber type process. So I do the tin type process currently. Mm -hmm. Um there's no real difference in it other than the fact that generally with glass you need to kind of do a, a vigorous cleaning process um for it but um it's something that i haven't kind of dipped my toes into yet because my rig's not exactly the most stable so i don't think putting glass in it when i'm traveling would be a great idea mm. um, i stick to my tin at the moment um the hope is to eventually do um, glass ones and then maybe even print from those glass sheets because you can actually put those into an enlarger and create an mm. image from it. Um, but we'll see. Um, it's something that, again, gently working towards because I have to do, I do have to keep reminding myself it's not even been three months yet um, that I've been doing this. But mm. um, it's, just, it's just, yeah, it's nice to see. I guess there's a lot of progression involved, but it, there is a big investment involved in that too because naturally, having everything to start with it's a lot to initially put in um and i think that's what can be off-putting to people is that kind of initial investment to kind of get it going mm -hmm. yeah. um, so yeah i think that could very well be a big reason but ultimately i don't think people are going to notice much different in the pricing when you compare it to film especially if you're getting at least every plate right you're not wasting any mm. you're probably going to find that's going to be the case i think but
Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't necessarily know, but um, it's. I would definitely say it's probably cheaper than film, though, in regards yeah, to large color form. film, at least. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, no, because film has shot up as well, hasn't it? In in price as well, really, you know, shot up. <laughs> Yeah, the analog it is expensive, isn't it? You know, everything's um, expensive. Um, but it's mm. just, but it's so rewarding, though, isn't it? Because, like you say, you're so you're involved in every single step of the way. Um, and, and I completely relate to what you said earlier, Willow, about um, the magic of, like in your in in your case, your your people you're photographing when you see the the face come out on the on or on the on the plate, it's just great. I still have that if I'm in a dark room, you know, in the the paper in the tray. Yeah, you know, yeah. I still think it's just 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 um, it's just that beautiful magic, isn't it? But wet plate just has such its own thing, isn't it? I was looking at and 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 your port, and I like what you're saying about um doing it with the modern modern portraits with a kind of with, with a really traditional process but they have i think they do have a certain magic about them don't they wet plates mm. I, yeah. do, I do um i i really love i'm sure i've said this before um sally excuse me sally mann's work i think was the first maybe wet plate work many years ago that i kind of became aware of and i really liked her work um i'm sure she does does them on glass i'm sure do you know Sally Mann's work? Yeah, um, um, I've seen some. I, I don't know necessarily too much. Yeah, it's it's it, but it captures something, doesn't it? The wet plates. I don't know. They they they. There's very much their own thing. Um, yeah, they, they 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 believe that a big part of that comes from the fact that essentially the the collodion process is not reacted mm -hmm. to um, red and yellow, green kind of waves of light. It's only reacted. Yeah and UV so skin tones kind of have like a almost ethereal kind of vibe to them it's something a little bit different and definitely yeah I, and then um oh sorry go I, on no and doing your doing your uh your, your modern portraits with with, with that so it's really good and obviously you've hit on something because you are completely um fully subscribed for people wanting their portrait then in the in the analog spotlight yeah <laughs> Because the, the other thing that I was surprised about with being booked up so quickly was I think I was only announced the week before. Mm. Um, I, I was kind of, we I was in talks about coming into it about a month prior. Like, um, yeah. So Alicia from Lensfair was the reason why I got there because she's been a big supporter of my work, uh, even on my old account when I was doing film stuff on that. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't, I didn't actually appear anywhere on the analog spotlight page. I don't, or the 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 events page at least, up until I think it was only a week beforehand. So I was beyond shocked when I had so many people coming in and just apparently there was people coming through the door and literally asking where I was because they wanted to come straight and see me. And hearing that just blew my mind because again, I kind of just appeared from nowhere and everyone wanted to come and come and see what I was doing and. I, I honestly thought I was going to be dead all day. I, I didn't think there was going to be loads of people. Like, I, I was half expecting for me to do like maybe one portrait an hour and no one to be mm. interested in it. But yeah, quite, quite, quite. Yeah, back idea. to back. Yeah. So, you, and a great you know, idea, a great idea for Bi uh, Brighton Seafront, I think. <laughs> I really yeah. like that. You, you obviously, whilst you were there taking people's pictures, mm. you had time to talk to them. And why? Why? especially when the spotlight event was by its very nature chock full of people who are used to being taking pictures all the time being around old cameras being around old, old processes and stuff why were people so keen to get their photo taken in this way do you think from based on what your conversations were with them i think one of the big parts i think is is the general intrigue because a lot of people mm. who were there they may have heard of the process, but a lot of them hadn't seen the process, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, I think most people, like, I know, so my kind of idea of, like, doing pop-ups and stuff like that, I um, basically I was inspired by a gentleman called Justin Barucki. He's set up in New York, and he does this kind of thing. He drives around in a van, he pops open the back of it, and he sets up his stuff and then does these kind of pop-ups. I don't know anyone in the uk that's doing that necessarily like there's people who do these workshops and studios and stuff like that but there's not many people just like popping up somewhere and just doing kind of shooting 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I think maybe a lot of people have not had the chance to just kind of, because a, a lot of time you, you have to, if you're going to see it, you have to go into a workshop and then the workshops can could be expensive because you're generally having to spend for an entire day's experience kind of thing. Um, whereas mine, I guess, was like a little sample, it was like a little taster into it and you get to walk away with a product that you can kind of take home as well. Um, I think it was this, again, it was that kind of not having the chance to really see it upfront and personal without having to maybe pay out to do kind of like a big workshop or again, usually I don't know necessarily how often the small amount of people can even access it it's usually maybe four or five people whereas if you weren't necessarily getting your photo done you were at least able to come and stand in the room and watch me do it and you didn't have to pay a single thing to do that you know well you get to pay entrance fee obviously but um you you, you got that opportunity essentially to kind of actually see how the process works from start to finish um which i, I think is is more than anything it's it's just that general intrigue because it's funny as well, Like I speak to photographers that I know uh, from the local area and stuff like that, and even people online who they come across my page and they're like, they've not even heard of the collodion process. And they're like, I don't, I never even knew this was a thing. And in a way that kind of blows my mind, but then I've also got to realise until I'd gone out and done my own research into the history of photography, I had no idea either. Mm. Like, and you could have asked me maybe six or seven years ago how people in Victorian times got their photo taken and I would have just assumed it was a piece of film. It was only until I went through that realism, like the going through the uh, research that I found out that it was these people creating their own emulsions on kind of metal substrates or glass. Well, it was originally more like uh, negative paper and glass substrates. Tin types didn't exist until I think it was 1856 when the original processes were designed in 1851. Um, and it was a lot of these people, um, again, it's, it's, it's that kind of thing i think um if you don't necessarily come out of your way to find it you're not gonna see it because there is only a, a rather niche amount of people there's a small niche that people are actually still doing it or at least still doing it in the forefront of like the public i guess mm -hmm. um a lot of people who are still doing it let's say in the uk a lot of them are like hobbyists who do stuff in their back garden and they kind of just develop it in the house and they have like a little dark room set up somewhere I don't think there's many people literally going out of their way and just dragging a whole darkroom around with them to then go and do this stuff. And I can understand that. Like, hauling 30 kilos of darkroom around is not fun, <laughs> you know? Like, I've done some stuff on um, up in the South Downs recently, and I was hauling this crate with all my gear in it up this hill, and <laughs> it, was a, it was a workout and a half, <laughs> to say the least. Mm. Um, and I think it's, it's, again, it's that not many people are actually showing themselves doing it necessarily mm -hmm. um, unless you're having these kind of small sessions available. So there were, again, there were plenty of people who were there who didn't necessarily have the chance to sign up or maybe weren't even interested in necessarily getting their portrait done. They were just interested in seeing how it's done. Mm -hmm. And I, I, for me, it was, it was wonderful to be able to give people that experience and show them the, the actual process itself because it is a magical thing uh, to see and to know that essentially without this process the mm. analog community that we know now wouldn't have existed because mm. you'd be looking at mainly if, if this kind of uh, chemistry hadn't been worked out you'd still be looking at daguerreotypes to this day this was like the kind of standpoint and what made essentially the kind of photographic film emulsion come into light and then it was adapted into the dry plate process uh, and then that inevitably became film as well so mm. it's 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 i think it's that kind of intrigue and history i guess yeah. um i wonder whether sort of in conjunction with that and the fact that we do associate these pictures and you know many of us may have come across them either in museums or in antique shops or yeah the these old um, tin types and, and even to a lesser extent daguerreotypes and stuff like that but um, where the part of the appeal for getting these done is that they they are an object of permanence in a way that other things aren't you know even a, even a print from a negative is still just paper whereas these yeah. things they feel like and I think because we've seen them be around for hundreds of years at this point mm -hmm. you go oh yeah. this thing will last 
you know, this this thing will somebody will have to actively destroy this for it to just go from this world. And then, and I think there's something appealing about having your image forever rendered in this way. You know, it's um. Yeah. This and I saw uh, several of the pictures you made on the day. I saw um, Neil Piper's picture, which I think, um, I think I may mention to you. But he said, that, "What was it? The, the best thirty quid he's ever spent on photography, which um, is given how <laughs> much Neil <laughs> gets through, is pretty impressive." And... Yeah, I, I must say that was a, that was a nice blessing. I will say Neil's photo as well. His eyes were so piercing. Yeah, I don't he... know. Yeah, when you saw it, they were so piercing. Yeah, beautiful. He does have weird psycho eyes. It's a no, it's feature of Neil. Um, and um, I saw Emma Lloyd's picture as well. I've, at the end of the day, I think Emma kind of... Uh, temporarily, I hope, lost hers. Emma, I hope you found your picture. She was a little bit drunk by the end of the day. But Emma's picture was it was just a beautiful portrait. And, of course, the um, team photograph of the event organisers, which we mentioned on a previous podcast, the picture of... Um, Paul and Holly and Alicia and and Hamish, um, his face. His his face. face. Um, what is that? Some was that some reaction to the chemicals? Do you think his face? <laughs> I think it was probably just a, a grizzled long day. I imagine <laughs> probably just wanting to get out for a pint. I imagine something yeah. like that. Yeah, I wouldn't blame him. It was what probably about six o'clock by that point, I think. So yeah. we'd all been there for quite a while. But um, if anything, I think it kind of adds because the one thing I always think about with the um, the wet plate photos is they always kind of look a little bit like an old like wanted poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think with that kind of grizzled look, he looks yeah. like he should be on a wanted poster. <laughs> he absolutely does. I look at that and just think varmint. Mm-hmm. He just looks like a, he looks like somebody who gets described by a sheriff as a varmint. Um, yeah. But the whole process is engaging, isn't it? And like you say, Graham, I think it's nice you've got something tangible at the end, you know, mm-hmm. to, to take away. And, you know, this process and um, like the darkroom process, I, I, it is alchemy, isn't it? I do feel like you are, it is alchemy and you are an alchemist when you're doing this kind of stuff, you know? Well, it's funny you say that because one of the, um, one of my favourite uh, wet plate collodion photographers that I follow is a woman whose Instagram handle is the alchemistress. Oh well, there you yeah, go. I love that name. I think it's. Yeah. I think she's chosen something so beautiful. But it is. It is like that. There is like a beautiful mm. alchemy element to it. Definitely. Um, but yeah, the um, the so and, and as you were saying, it's a very involved process. You can kind of yeah. see everything happening before you. The only thing that you can't really necessarily see is what I'm doing in my darkroom. I'm not in there for too long, which is quite mm. nice. But there is. I am going to be hopefully developing my darkroom 2.0 very soon which is going to be so the wonderful thing is is you can do everything under red light and because it's so unreactive to light you can literally have a red like safe light window yeah. in yeah. daylight and you can look through and watch it happen so uh, my next one I'm going to have I'm going to have hopefully like a red viewing window so that people can yeah. see what I'm doing inside my darkroom at the same time because mm. um, I want I want people to be able to see it all from the get-go and even like so when I'm developing the plate on the inside of the darkroom, it's only about a 15 to 20 second development. But in that time, you do see the negative appear onto mm. the plate. And that in itself is just as kind of wonderful to see as the fixing, which turns mm. it into the positive that we love to see, you know. Um, and I, I want to be able to give everyone that kind of wonderful experience. And I think that's just makes it that little bit more worthwhile is when you can see it all the way from the start to finish. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed that'll be soon. Um, I really like uh, that—the red view. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. Also, it might be a bit brighter than my current red light, which is my my other thing. It's not <laughs> too bright. Um, you talked earlier about things that you may or well, hopefully will be exploring in the future with more business-related stuff. Maybe doing stuff with weddings, doing more pop-up stuff, more events. Um, in terms of your own personal work and what you want to do and what you want to explore with that, I know you said that portraiture is something that you're particularly drawn to. Um, do you have plans? You know, you're 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 down in Brighton, um, which is a fantastic place to be to want to do this kind of stuff. And I know that you you are a well tattooed individual, and I'm sure yeah. you you know you're. <laughs> 
there's a lot of people in because I know on some of your other pictures you've got other pictures of um, tattoo people there so there's that whole community what would you like to do with this art form to explore it yourself you know when you're not trying to make a business habit but just for your own enjoyment and it's funny you say this um there is a little project that i'm gonna work towards hopefully when i haven't because i'm gonna be trying to get an 8x10 camera to do it with as well um just so i can do more special ones that are kind of larger um and something i wanted to do and it goes back to again kind of doing the the modern twist on an old time kind of uh process is where i'm my i my gender identity is as non-binary um I, when I look back at the original way, like back in the day when it was originally done, there was not many people who it would be open about mm-hmm. being under that kind of trans umbrella, as it were. Um, and I want to show people for what they are and show them in this old traditional method, but as they truly are, and people being able to be themselves but have a photo mm-hmm. done in such an old classic way. Um, so I would love to do a uh, wet plate photo series of essentially um, people who are who are non-binary being as true to themselves as they are. And then ideally, I'd love to do a little book about it as well and then have um, the portrait of the person uh, of their books. I'll probably end up doing a couple of them and whichever one they'd like to choose for themselves. And then I'd love to just kind of have their story about their coming to terms with their gender identity and then coming out and all that kind of stuff because I, I I was fortunate in the fact that with myself coming out I have a lot of very understanding people around me uh, my family are incredibly supportive and no issues at all but I know some people it's they're much more unlucky in that area and I want to show that everyone no matter what you think of yourself no matter what you align yourself as no matter how you truly feel on the inside you are beautiful and you shouldn't ever have any reason to be ashamed of yourself and I want to be able to, again, show that this, because I, I aligned as like non-binary queer and this kind of whole LGBTQ community mm. was never really highlighted it back in the day when this process really truly existed. Um, so I, I want to kind of create a whole series based around basically, well, seeing as we're in Pride Month now, uh, yeah. showing our pride, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. not having to hide who you are and being able to say that, yes, I am I am gay, I am lesbian, I'm queer, I'm trans, mm-hmm. whichever way you are, everyone should be confident enough to do that. And I want to show that with this, again, modern twist on the old-timey vibes. That's kind of like my whole aim with all this is um, I want to, again, just slightly bring a more modern overtone to this beautifully old form of photography and something that will last centuries. Um, so that's one plan I've got going on at the moment. Um, tattoos wise, I do have some kind of rough basis plans um, just because the tattoos do really kind of pop and illuminate quite well under the process, but I'm not quite sure where I want to go with that just yet. Yeah. Um, but there is certainly at my at my main point in time, that's what I'm concentrating on. In regards to large format, there is another project that I'm going to work towards, but that will be done probably either on film or uh, direct positive print paper, which is um, I'm going to do uh, caffeinol process developing. But I want to do a photo series of uh, people within the coffee industry, and then I want to develop their photos using the coffee they make. So it kind of has that more personal touch, and then you can mm-hmm. kind of see the different coffees working as developers. It'd be, I think, quite an interesting vibe. Um, but I don't believe the caffeinol process would work on with a the direct positive. No, I'd be interested to see how it goes with direct positive as well, because that stuff does not. You you need some pretty oomphy um, developer for that direct positive stuff. I I have learned <laughs> the hard way. Yeah. So it- I got a feeling. Oops, I gone. No, no, carry on. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I have a feeling like if I'm developing direct positive print with Caffeinol, I think it's going to be something stupid like 17 minutes of development time. But <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out when it gets to it. Um, but it's, it's some experiments I've got going on. And then I have some other things that I'm developing outside of, again, the wet plate world. But it's some stuff that's kind of secret and under wraps at the minute. But um, it's something that I'm hopefully developing and working towards with the help of people like Alicia from Lensfair 
and hopefully a couple of friends in my hometown. But it's going to involve some chemistry experiments and stuff like that. Um, but I don't want to release too much information now because I don't need people stealing my idea. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so there, there are different things to come. But essentially, all of this has started because of me doing this wet play process and getting to know everyone through coming out to the spotlight event. Because again, I'm far more used to like hiding away from people and keeping myself to myself. And doing spotlight kind of forced me into getting to know everyone and not to say that's a bad thing and making it i'm making it sound like it was a bad thing um but it it was it's a real eye-opener that i can be a bit of a social butterfly and actually mm -hmm. talk to people and not necessarily shy away from it all so it was it was a big event for me and it, it really meant a lot again meeting people such as yourself who showed such wonderful appreciation for the work i was doing that day i think it says a lot about the film photography community um as you know we've talked about this a lot but it's interesting to hear from you who essentially went from being, you know, you, you, sh you shoot film, you have done for years, but this was the first time you jumped feet first into the film photography community with little previous warning. And it's, it sounds like you just had an overwhelmingly positive experience. And, yeah. um, and that's great because it's one of the things that we say all the time, what a fantastic group of people the film photography community is but um yeah well, i guess you can't say it enough it really is there are so many amazing supportive people out there and we should never take that for granted because that isn't the case everywhere you just can't assume that that's the case ever but actually now a little bit of the world really is people are bloody great oh yeah no i couldn't i couldn't agree more um again i, I was half expecting for me to be like just not really noticed the entire time i was there but even the people who didn't have the chance to get their photo done, I've had overwhelming support. So um, there's a couple of people who um, were unfortunate enough not to be able to sign up in time, um, but they're actually making a trip down to Brighton, mainly <coughs> with yeah, yeah, just mainly with the whole idea of getting their photo done by me. And that that just blows my mind that they're that supportive of my work that they're going to travel and spend a whole weekend in Brighton just for the sheer fact of getting some photos taken by me. It it blows my mind. Like, um, and again, none of this would have occurred if I hadn't just gone out of my way and actually got involved with the with community. Um, and again, a huge shout out to Alicia for that because yeah. she was the one who was the driving force. Because when she first contacted me about the idea of coming along. I at first was umming and ahhing. I didn't feel like I was necessarily ready. And then she was just like, no, nah, no, nah, you got this. You're ready. You're ready. Yeah. Um, and again, it was last minute. It was only about a month. Um, I was stressing out. I didn't think I was going to be able to get all my fits ready in time. But we made it happen. And I, I have absolutely no regrets in it. It has been probably one of the best days I've ever had in my life, I would say. Just, just a wonderfully positive experience. And like... No matter that I didn't get to take a break or barely even up a sip of water, it was for me just being able to sit there and just meet all these wonderful people who have wonderful stories and just being able to explain this beautiful process to these people and for everyone to be so fascinated and wanting to be so involved was was beautiful. Um, and it, it got to a point where, so I, I kind of have like a little spiel that I kind of talk about the history and the chemistry involved, but it kind of got to a point where I noticed some people have been in the room long enough that they didn't need me to repeat it. So then mm -hmm. we could just start talking about photography in general. And I got to ask people about how they kind of got into photography. And then they would ask me how I got to the point where I'm doing the wet plate stuff. And I was actually quite fortunate enough to have my father there. He drove me up. But he's the whole reason why I got into photography in the first place. And the whole reason why I even started shooting analog, because the first camera I ever had that was an analog camera was the same OM10 he bought in 1983. Um, and he'd been using it. And so that, that, that was what gave me my foray into the analog world. And so I had him to thank. And I was also, I got the fortunate chance to actually take a photo of my dad as well doing the wet plate because he'd never seen it before this event. That was the first time he oh, saw really? it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he doesn't live near me. Um, he lives, uh, I, so obviously I live in uh, Sussex. He lives in Hampshire. Um, so he, he hadn't actually had the chance to see the process. So I got to take one very underexposed photo of him because he was my test shot for the day. Um, but for me, it was still one of my favorites of the day because I got to sit there and just kind of show him what I was doing. And more than anything, I had him to thank. So towards the end of the day, bless him, he 
<laughs> he thought I was going to be finishing it around four and getting out of there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was lingering around towards the end, obviously, just kind of waiting around. But when I was taking photos of people, I'd get I was getting him involved in the conversation because, again, he was a big part of the reason why I'm even there doing that, you mm-hmm. know. So just being able to share that with him was wonderful too. So, again, the mass support just from general love for taking photos, even from my own family down to random strangers I'd never met before. And now I've got some of these people who I could even look call friends already. Mm-hmm. And that blows my mind. And people who are wanting to come down, get their photo taken, they're going to have, um, also we're going to go on a couple of photo walks as well. Mm. And do like a couple of bits and yeah it's just again starting to meet new wonderful wonderful people who have just been the single most supportive people i've ever come across like i've never had this level of support in regards to any work that i've had so i i'm again just purely purely overwhelmed by it all um and to think it just comes from me loving photographic history i guess yeah so, I, I well you say just from that i mean i i think the fact that you were there at the analog spot, like the fact that you clearly have not just a talent for taking pictures because the portraits that you're making are lovely portraits. They're really beautiful, um, which is great. But also you had the ability to do that. How many pictures did you make during the day on that one day? Um, I think it was 30. 30. You made 30 wet plates in a day, having never done something like that before, um, I think is incredible. It, and it, I, that shows an ability to work with this practice in a way which you absolutely should not be able to do after only two months. And also, even if you'd been doing it for far longer than two months, like people don't work in that way. It's not, it's not usually a generally a fast over thing. I'm... I'm really excited to see what you do with it and where you take it, especially, I mean, both in terms of the business, because I think that's fascinating and I, I really can't wait to see what happens with that and with your personal work. Um, it's really interesting. When I, I was thinking about this when you were talking about it. Like, I don't know a lot of wet plate photographers, but the three people that I do know, so yourself, and, and we've talk, mentioned talked in the past to Shane Barkwich and to Simon Riddell, and yeah. in each case, the people that you're wanting to document are people who are i suppose outsiders or you know people who are not so in your case you want to document um lgbtq people with shane it was the native americans and there's the native americans um simon is exploring um mental health issues and things like that through his portraiture and I just find it interesting that wet plate photography tends to lead to interest uh, to a choice of subject um, of people that is I don't know it, it, it's interesting. I wonder what it is about it. I wonder whether it's the nature of the people who are interested in the process are also m- more deeply interested in other people as well. Um, whether that's what it is i wonder whether there's something about wet plate about that 0.75 iso so you've got your long um the fact that you need to be sat there for a long time that you're you know you are connecting with these people whilst that image is being taken which is part of the reason you get these amazing looks because they're staring straight at the camera for a few seconds which is not normally something you get from a portrait um i don't know what it is but it's just a thing that I've noted, and um, I'm I'm really excited to see what you do with it, and I think it's going to be great. It's really awesome. Thank you so much. So where should people be going to mm-hmm. find your work, see your work, and I guess try and hire you for whatever they might want to try and hire you for? Make make this into a business for Willow. I mean, mm. come on. Oh, you sweetheart. Thank you so much. Um, so currently, I, I don't have a dedicated website just yet. It's something that I am working towards. But um, currently, it's just my Instagram, which is just at uh, wetplatewillow. Um, so um, basically, a uh, website will come once I can kind of get a bit more, like a, maybe like a little logo done or something like that. Um, fortunately, I do have the great blessing of having a couple of artist friends down here in Brighton. So I'm going to probably 
give him a little shoulder, mm-hmm. um, give him a little elbow and be like, come on, you know, you want to give me a little logo, that'd be mm-hmm. lovely. Um, but until that point, yeah, it's just, um, it's Wet Plate Willow on Instagram. And then also for my film work, which I must admit, I don't really go on too much at the moment. I will be posting on there a little bit more again soon is uh, at Willow Colour. And have you got any events that you have nailed down yet coming up where people might be able to see you or is that just watch this space? Um, at the moment is just a watch this space kind of thing. There, I'm in talks about sorting out some possible workshops and pop-ups. Um, so with me uh, kind of using intrepid cameras and then I was also in the same room as them at Analog Spotlight. Um, they're in actually the process of opening up Intrepid Studios, so oh, they want me to do um, workshops in Brighton. So if there will be eventually the possibility to actually come down and do a workshop with me, um, and I will show you the process and kind of go through the details of it all, the, the bit more in depth on the history of it all. Um, so that will happen hopefully in the next couple of months, I believe. Um, but for the moment, it's just a watch this. Oh, also Nottingham. There might be some stuff happening in Nottingham at some point, and that's, again, to thanks to the guys at Lensberg because they're based up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's depending on when they open up their shop, which I'm hoping for those guys is very soon because they're wonderful people and they deserve to yeah. have their own little shop open. Um, but, yeah, it's also I'm currently in the process of trying to move house, so um, things are a little bit on the back burner at the moment whilst I move. But mm-hmm. until that point, again, it's just to watch this space. There will be some more plates coming out real soon. Um, I've been a little bit slack on it, but then... Work's busy, life's busy. Sometimes you've got to put it aside for just a little moment. But I've been doing a little bits here and there to keep myself in practice. So fingers crossed they still keep looking good, you know. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Willow. Um, Claire, is there anything you need to let our listeners know about going on this week? I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. Blade Runner, watch it. And um and you you're And the... I'm coming into Bright we'll have to go to Brighton Seafront. I really like that idea of um you being on the seafront in Brighton. <laughs> we can go and get our, our portraits done. Yeah. I like Brighton, yeah. And just I know we mentioned this last week when I was but your the film you did with Gweno, is that now <laughs> out and available for people to see? No, uh, it's been... <laughs> no, <had a> <laughs> they, they can't, they going, mustn't. It's going, um, I don't know when the next, there'll be a series of screenings. I think there's one here in a, in, in a, in a, in a week or so. So it's not like you can't kind of see it on, on the internet or anything. Not no. yet. Not no. Yet. Okay. Well, also watch this space mm. then. Well, we will leave it there then, listeners. Thank you so much, uh, Willow, for joining us. It's been really fantastic catching up with you. And like I said, I cannot wait. I can't wait for the next opportunity to catch up with you because I'm sure it won't be long. Um, We will play you out, as always, listeners, with Rachel's band, Roja. Poor Rachel, not feeling very well this evening. Um, There's a a whole lot of sick still going around, so that's great. Um, But she's here in spirit. And as we'll play her out with her music, as always, we will be back with you again very soon. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>